this year, as we approach the Christmas season, um, I do love the old school hymnal. It's a wonderful hymnal. It's served me for countless hours of uh, enjoying considering God and uh, our walk on this earth and sharing our company with one another and lifting our voices together. But it doesn't quite have as many Christmas songs as a lot of other hymnals we know, right? So around this time of year, we tend to bounce around a couple um, of particular songs. But there are some very, very good hymns that have been written over the years. And I've always enjoyed considering the lyrics of them because a good hymn bleeds scripture everywhere, all over. And when you sing a good hymn, it's almost like praying a psalm or reading the scripture out loud. We get to partake in that sweet and pure wisdom from above that has been made manifest through the work of our forefathers and mothers of years gone by, who, when considering Christ and his work and the good news of salvation or the difficulties of this life as a Christian, have penned those many poems and put them to music. Well... In a week, we're all going to spend a special day set apart for just considering the birth of Jesus, whether that is uh, something you particularly take part in or don't. Actually, when I first was a believer, I didn't do Christmas for the first couple of years because I was uh, very much struggling like Charlie Brown struggled in the special. I didn't really know how to celebrate it and love God. Andy, my pastor, was kind enough to sit me down and explain how many feasts that God set apart for his people in the Bible and how there is a right time and place to celebrate different seasons, especially with our fellow beloved. So, as it says, if a a day is holy to you, then it is holy to you. And if it is not, then every day is the same, because we know every day is the same with God. So the matter for me was resolved. So now I take a special pleasure, especially having children around, in considering the good work of God in sending his son. When he sent his son, it was for a very specific purpose. When we remember that baby in the manger, we also have to remember certain other characters in scripture, such as the wild Gadarene or Barabbas, people who traded places with Jesus the same way we would eventually do. Remember the wild Gadarene who was so wild that they couldn't contain him with chains, that his voice echoed among the rocks. He was set apart from the people. He was an outcast. He bled on the rocks. Remember that when Jesus dealt with him, they found him clothed and in his right mind. And that came at a cost. Uh, One cost was a number of pigs. But there was a different exchange that happened that was made manifest in that man's life that day. When Jesus was made like the wild Gadarene later on, when he would be crucified, separated from the people, crying out among the rocks. The difference, of course, was primarily this. That when the Son of God died, the rocks didn't just bounce back the sound the way that our dead hearts might before he works on them. But just as our hearts are broken, the rocks themselves were rent on the day of his crucifixion. And he, he, unlike the wild Gadarene, had freed himself from death. He said, I laid my life down. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down and I take it up again by his mighty power. All that, the way that God saw fit to have all of that happen was by the God of all creation, True God of true gods, as the song says, coming down and being born as a weak, likely cute baby. What a day that had to be. And for that cause, angels came down to earth and gave a bunch of men the night off. Right? The shepherds who were visited by the angels. Well, I think if an angel came to me and told me in the middle of my work, don't worry about that, go do something else. 
and if my work was protecting sheep, I'm going to just operate on the principle that I'm not going to have to worry about wolves and bears when there's angels out, right? Because God takes care of those things. But those shepherds were given a very special bit of news. And I say all that because I'd like to consider a song that is not in our hymnal. O come, all ye faithful. We are singing it this morning quite a bit on the way up. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's not my favorite. That's O Holy Night. It's for a conversation for another day. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother. Wonderful words. But remember, O come, all ye faithful. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Who is that talking about? Now, again, this isn't the scripture, so it doesn't have the, the weight of Holy Scripture. But it is right to say, beloved, that of us, when we hear the good news of salvation and the method by which God elected to bring it, that you are faithful, not because of anything you did, but because God has made you faithful. And so for that cause, we take joy in our faithfulness, joy in being here together at church, faithfully serving the poor and delivering the gospel to them. But we are also joyful, aren't we? Beloved, we must be careful. Scripture says that we must lay aside that sin that does so easily beset us. As as it, it answers a rhetorical question, what did hinder you that you did not run? What hindered your joy in salvation? It says the path of the justice as a shining light, growing brighter and brighter. And if that's not what it looks like, then be careful, beloved. Lay aside that sin which does so easily beset us and set your eyes chiefly on him who saved us and who gives us our joy. We know that our joy can be lost at times as believers because we see in the Psalms when David says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Beloved, you are joyful. If you've lost that or forgotten that, remember, he is always faithful. Always faithful. When we repent and we pray and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Not just to forgive us our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, it says that the wisdom from above is pure and gentle. That to know right things and to understand how the world really works and to have wisdom is to be gentle and to have nothing, no second thought that can hinder your joy, as you are called joyful in the knowledge of Jesus' birth. And triumphant. Triumphant. The world does not seem very full of triumph for believers right now, does it? How do you think that was under Roman rule? It was much the same, wasn't it? I think it might have been a little worse. But in some places of the world, truly, it, is not, it does not look very triumphant. And in some places in our own backyards, it does not look very triumphant. I was thinking as we were driving down here, as we came by, I came by a billboard over a, um, a business, and it said, uh, our only work is, uh, is, is fixing the environment. In sweeter words, of course, it was said. And I was wondering at how quick it has come that while we are called to be stewards of the earth, but how quickly it seems that all of society moves in the direction of worshiping the earth again, having it be its first priority. Now, again, we are stewards of the earth, and we should not take that lightly, but we are not gods of the earth, and the earth is not our God. And so, likewise, when we have our priorities right, we concentrate on him, and we are joyful. But it seems, it seems, that all the world has gone away towards various forms of paganism that grow year after year. But, beloved, you are not losers. It doesn't say joyful losers, does it? Joyful and triumphant. Why? Because the battle is won, and the battle is the Lord's. It is not yours, it is not mine, but you get to take part. You get to be as the army of Israel that was behind David, who then later would run and slaughter the Philistines who were hoping to destroy them and take their homes and their wives. We have a great champion, but that champion was born in the most intimate infancy 
just as all of you were. It's amazing to think that that voice that would cry out among the rocks on that day that he was born would have just cried out as a baby. And instead of echoing with the force and power of the creator of the universe, breaking stones as he gave up his spirit, just echoed around a barn and a little manger. That same voice that commanded the dead to rise started whimpering as a little child. It's amazing to consider, and it is a thing to give joy to us. Why? Because, beloved, we ought to be humbled to consider that our Savior would save us at all. But to consider that he would make himself like us, make himself go through everything we have gone through. Oh, come. Oh, come and see. We drove by a car on the way down. It just said, come and see on the side. And I said, what does that mean? So I got closer, and in a smaller print underneath on a different bumper sticker, it just said um, something about Jesus, and I couldn't quite make out what it said. I said, that is a great bumper sticker. Come and see. Come and see that the Lord is good. Come, you shepherds, come and see that he's here. No, you can't go see him as a baby now. Blessed were those who got to. But you get to see his work now in the world. You get to come to God's people, to God's church, to God's elect, and see his work in their lives. Where two or three are gathered together, he is with them. How much more, beloved, when we are all here for one singular purpose, to love and to adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us be thankful that he did not just come to bring salvation by a mighty hand and a powerful uh, sword, but he came to be as us, to overcome everything we would face. He knows our sorrows. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, come and behold him, as he wasn't just born as a baby who had the power to later rend rocks. It says, come and behold him, born the king of angels. Angels were going to announce his coming because they were obeying their king, even though he could not utter a word to them, they still obeyed. May we be like them. But his power is beyond imagining, beyond imagining, his power and glory. And he came again as a little child. I'd like to just take a look at that passage. It says in Luke chapter 2, when speaking about them having traveled for the tax, it says that so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were, in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Beloved, the appearance of angels has never been a thing of gentleness. Wherever they go, they bring power. Thank God that they always say, first thing, fear not, right? There was a Babylon Bee article recently. I do genuinely appreciate their humor uh, in these difficult days where they said um, mass hysteria breaks out as Angel forgets to say fear not upon appearing. Because that's what would happen, isn't it? The angels are full of power. Again, I, I think it would be hard for us to really understand it. You've got to spend some time imagining that they had power that was efficacious. You could see and feel it off of them. You could tell that they were powerful. I don't know whether they glow with a light, but I imagine that there's some kind of something like that, the way that a bulb emulates its power. There was some evidence of that when angels appeared. But I think it was also powerful and important that they just appeared. That by itself revealed that they were emissaries of someone great. Because you can tell by someone's messengers a bit about the person who sends them. And when someone like this appears with all the power of heaven to say that a king has come, well, these shepherds were right to do what they did next. It says, the angel said unto them, fear not, 
Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Beloved. (laughs) Let's read that again. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. All people. To us in this faraway land, literally half the way around the world from where this happened. Thousands of years later, separated by all manner of of, uh, different things, language and everything else. To you comes from the voice of that angel that night, right now, good tidings, glad tidings of great joy. Beloved, let nothing hinder your joy. Let nothing take away what you have in our Savior. For why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which not will be, not was, but is Christ the Lord. That day, the day of his birth, he was called, and rightly so, the Lord. He has neither diminished in power nor forgotten a single thing. He sits now ruling on the right hand of the Father as the Lord over all things. And here he was, born this day, come into the world. Why? Beloved, the reason they feared in the presence of the angels was not just their power. It was also their goodness and holiness. The angels that had not fallen would have, to a sinner like us, represented imminent destruction. Sin has no place in the glory of God, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have no right to see the beauty of a holy angel. You have no right to see the loveliness of a perfect God. But he didn't come that way, did he? He came as the weakest form he could possibly come in the most gentle way he could. What is more gentle than a little baby? Who among you, if you saw a baby sitting in that aisle as you walked by, not knowing where its parent was, wouldn't pick it up? You wouldn't be afraid like you're picking up a snake or something with other power. But this baby had the terrible power of all the universe. He, it will be, who will untie the elements. And he it was by whom all things were created. He has power over all. And here he was coming in a form. He could not have come more gently than he did. That was a symbol to you and to all of us that a world at war with God had God just make peace with his people. What wonderful, wonderful news. Oh, come, let us adore him. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. If he came to appear in the most beautiful building ever built, it still would have been as lowly as this manger compared to where he came from. Compared to his office, compared to his person, compared to his greatness, his wisdom, his beauty, his loveliness. And so the fact that he came at all, the fact that he came at all as he did, Humbling himself in so gentle a way is a matter of great, great joy. Look at how the angels respond who knew no sin, who desired to look into this salvation that you get to take part in. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. How often have you celebrated that simple fact that there is glory to God in the highest, there is peace on earth, and there is from God to his enemies, goodwill. And this isn't goodwill that he suddenly made up on the fly. This is goodwill that he has had stored up and ready for this moment since the dawn of, no, since before the dawn of creation. Time immemorial is not a word deep enough to explain how long ago it was he began to love you, when he began to set apart this plan. For greater love knows no man than this, that he gave up his life for his friends. He didn't just give up his life for his friends. He lived for his friends. He came to live as a little baby that people would have to clean up after and feed without which he wouldn't survive. He came 
And the reaction from the angels should be our reaction. And that is this. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. I do the whole song, but we'd be here till about four in the afternoon. So thank you for your good attention. Matthew chapter 14. There are three scenes in this one chapter. Just going to touch on on each of the three. The third one, um, Christ delivers um, an encouraging word. It says that it describes the, um, the folks there. It says they were troubled. And then Christ responds and says, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. That's the message that Christ delivers to these folks that were troubled. My grandmother used to use the term, uh, if somebody was upset about something, she'd use the term disturbed, uh, out of sorts, things like that. A lot of folks have a lot of trials in this day and time, lots of difficulties, difficulties with others, difficulties with themselves, difficulties at work, and... um, It's good to hear a report and good to be encouraged by a message that Jesus Christ brings on the scene. It's very much applicable today, very much needed today in the day in which we live. If we just focused on the world, if we focused upon the media, if we focused upon the news that we get, we'd be pretty well disturbed and troubled from every side. But Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and in the midst of all of the trouble, in the midst of all the difficulties, he comes on the scene, and he says, be of good cheer. Now, that's a real good message for us to hear today. He says, be of good cheer, be not afraid, for it is I. And so that same message is applicable for us today. Now, there are three scenes in this chapter, Matthew chapter 14. The first one is very, very sad. It reiterates what happened to John. It says, At that time Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of the fame of Jesus, and he said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. Therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. And it tells that Herod had called for the beheading of John the Baptist, and his, uh, his conscience was weighing on him. And he thought that this was John rather than Jesus that was working these miracles, that it was John that had come back from the dead. It says, for Herod had laid, it tells the account, Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. And it talks about how that that John had approached uh, Herod's brother and his wife and, and told them of the sin in their life and how that his wife got uh, bitter and angry against John. And it says, for John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude. That's Herod, because they counted him as a prophet. That's John. But when Herod's birthday was kept, this gives the account of what led to the beheading of John says, but when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. So this was actually his niece that was uh, dancing before Herod. And he was so pleased with the event. He was so pleased with the 
with the dancing and with all that was going on. And he was so pleased that in the midst of all of that, he promised, he gave her a promise. And he said, whatever it is that you would like, he says, I give you an oath that whatever you would ask, uh, I'll grant it. And so her mother, she and her mother had conspired together and her mother told her, said, if that uh, opportunity is there, here's what you asked for. And it said, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she being before instructed of her mother said, give me here, John the Baptist, John Baptist head in a charger. That's a that's a terrible and a, a sad situation there. And it says, and the king was very sorry, nevertheless, for his oath's sake, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it be given to her. And he sent and beheaded John in prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. Sad series of events leading to the beheading of John the Baptist. We think we live in troubled times, and truly we do. But those things were taking place, uh, and people were disturbed, and people were troubled. It says that the people, the disciples came, they took up his body, and they buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now, Jesus already knew it. Jesus, you can't inform Jesus of anything. But Jesus is moved with compassion for his people and what his people go through and what they experience. It says that Jesus, he departed uh, thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot and out of the cities. Wherever Jesus went, his report or his fame went before him. They knew that he had power from above. They knew that if they could get close to him, that he had the power to heal those that were sick, those that were afflicted. And it says that the disciples came unto him and it says that Jesus Christ, when he saw the multitude, when he saw the struggles that his people had, that Jesus Christ was moved with compassion. I believe that in the day in which we live, that Jesus Christ is still moved with compassion for his people. He knows what your trial is. He knows what your difficulty is. He knows what your struggle is. And Jesus Christ not only knows, but Jesus Christ cares. It says that he was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. And when the evening was come, it says his disciples came unto him saying, this is a desert place and now... And the time is now past. Send the multitude away. They that may go into the villages and buy themselves uh, victuals. Basically, the disciples were saying, we're in a desert area. Not any food out here. We don't have any means by which to uh, feed the multitude. And they need to be able to go to the city. It's getting dark and they need to be able to go in the city. I just this last week was in a desert area. That's where Brother Carlton and Sister Jewel grew up. And um, there, there's not a whole lot that grows out there unless it's by a stream or by a river because there's not a lot of rain or uh, not a lot of growth. And here the multitude said, we're looking around us and it looks pretty bleak. It looks pretty dark. It, it looks like there's not any food. And we have this large multitude of folks to feed and, and there's not anything to feed them with. And then Christ says 
to them, Jesus said unto them, they need not to depart. He says, give ye them to eat. I'm sure they probably thought, what do you mean? Give them to eat. They said, we have here, but five loaves and two fishes. And Christ said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down in another account of the Gospels. It says that they sat down in in groups of 50 and hundreds. And he says he commanded the disciples commanded that he commanded them to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and he took the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And he says, and they did eat. They did all eat. Now, this is interesting. It says they all ate and it says, and they were filled. They didn't just get some crumbs or just a taste of it or just a sample of it. But it says that they got enough that they were filled. And then it says, and then they took up the fragments that remained and there were 12 baskets full. So there was more at the end than there was in the beginning. And that's the way it is when Christ is in the matter. He has a way of blessing in such a way that when you get through, you have more blessing than what you started with. There's a song that I meant to bring this book up. I'll, I'll, I'll share it. Uh, it's, uh, it's 597. And this is a great song. And, and as you look back over your life, you can recognize that truly this does describe Christ and our experience. Hymn number 597. John Newton actually wrote this song. It says, though troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us that whatever be tied, the promise assures us that the Lord will provide. The birds without garner or storehouse are fed. From them, let us learn to trust God for our bread. He says, just consider the birds of the air, that God takes care of even the birds of the air. And he cares much more for us than he does even the fowls of the air. He says, from them, let us learn to trust God for our bread. His saints, what is fitting, shall ne'er be denied. So long as tis written, the Lord will provide. When Satan assails us, To stop up our path and courage all fails us, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though often he has tried, this heart-cheering promise that the Lord will provide. No strength of our own, no goodness we claim, yet since we have known of the Savior's great name, in this our strong tower, for safely we hide, the Lord is our power, the Lord will Provide. When you look back upon your life, has not God provided for you far better than what you deserved? When you look back upon your life, every one of us here can attest that God has provided for us in ways that we couldn't provide for ourselves. In fact, he provides for us in spite of ourselves. And when God gets through providing, he does it in such a way that there's more blessings left over than what you started with. And only God can work it out that way. So. He says that at the end, there was much more left over than what they started with. And that's how God does it. I have a friend of mine that he lives in uh, St. Louis area in Missouri, south of St. Louis, Branson, Missouri. And he told me, I remember him telling it. If if we called him right now, he'd tell you the same thing. He said, uh, my wife and I struggled in our business. 
uh, it was difficult, it was hard, and it just seemed like we never could just make ends meet, and we just had a difficult time. And he said, finally, one day, he says, I decided just to give my business to the Lord. He said, I turned it over to the Lord. And he said, then I was reminded that it was already his in the first place. I just thought it was mine for a while. And he said, it's just amazing how that God has prospered our business when I, in my mind mentally, turned it over to the Lord. Elder Compton said, he said he grew up and he thought he had to work seven days a week to make ends meet. And he said, I found out that when I started working six days a week, he said things went much, much further working six days a week than they did when I worked seven days a week. He said the shoes lasted longer on the children. He said the cars lasted long, the tires lasted longer on the car. And he said things just lasted so much longer when I worked six days a week rather than working seven days a week. It's amazing how that if we uh, dedicate it to the Lord, if we put the Lord first, that God's going to bless And God can bless in such a way that the end is better than the beginning. And that's what happened right here. He worked it in such a way that those that witnessed it knew without a doubt that God was in charge and blessing. And that's what that's the way he delights to do it. He delights to do it in such a way that he gets all the glory. And it says, uh, tells how many were fed and those that were eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So if you add the women and children, it's a tremendous amount of folks that uh, were were fed there. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to go into the ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, this gets into the message that this verse that I want to touch on here. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. You remember the journey? I believe it's Acts 27 that Paul was engaged in where the ship was tossed about. And Paul had instructed them. He says, you don't need to sell now because there's going to be danger at hand. And the shipmaster and those that were on the ship did not take heed to what Paul was telling them there. And they went on that journey and the journey got difficult. And yet the angel of the Lord delivered a message by God to Paul to say that if you stay on board and you 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 hold on and you band together, that there will be no loss of life. Well, right here, their faith is tested again. And you'll see uh, what happens, especially with Peter right here, but all of those that were on the ship. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea and tossed with the waves and the wind was contrary. Now, that just doesn't sound very pleasant to me. I've, I've, I've had folks ask me, would you like to take a cruise? And I have to tell you, I have no interest in taking a cruise. This doesn't really appeal to me. Maybe you've taken one and you've enjoyed it. But this is one of the reasons why I don't want to go on a cruise. I'm afraid that the storm's going to come up and I might be the Jonah on the boat. And I'm just not interested in taking the cruise. Well, here they were on a boat and it got very boisterous and very difficult and very uncomfortable. 
And he says they were in the midst of the storm, midst of the sea. The wind was contrary. And it says, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now, if you can imagine what they must have thought when they saw the image of Christ, some wondered if it was uh, an image, a vision, uh, exactly what it was. But it's interesting that when he spoke, they knew who he was. And that's amazing that how when he speaks to us, sometimes in that still small voice, we recognize and we know who it is. Sometimes he speaks to our heart. Sometimes he speaks to us through song. Sometimes he speaks to us through his word. Sometimes he speaks to us through one another, through encouraging one another. But when Christ speaks to you, you recognize that still small voice that he gives. And then all of a sudden, even in the midst of difficult times, even in the midst of the world in which we're living in, when we experience the consolation of Jesus Christ, we know that things are going to be okay, even though it seems like everything is out of sorts around us. Now look at what happens. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. And they said, is it a spirit? And they cried out for fear. Now, one of the great blessings of Jesus Christ is he's not a God of fear. He's a God of justice and a God of uh, judgment, but he's not a God of fear. And when he comes, he comes to bring encouragement and consolation and comfort. And so when he witnessed that they were troubled, when they cried out that they were troubled, when they cried out for fear, it says straightway Jesus spake unto them. And here's the message of Jesus Christ. This is just almost always the message of Jesus Christ. And it it, it fits for every age. It fits for uh, every point in our age. It fits for every trouble that we might have. That Christ comes on the scene and he just simply says, be of good cheer. It's almost like what Brother John was saying right there. We ought to be joyful in the Lord. In fact, Paul tells us in, in Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, and again, I say rejoice. So right here, Christ is coming on the scene and he says, don't be troubled. Don't be fearful. He said, you be of good cheer because I'm here. Therefore, you can be not afraid. I'll tell you what, that's one of Satan's tactics in the day in which we live is to call folks, cause folks to be afraid, to be overcome with fear. That's how he motivates folks along the way is to be overcome with fear. And Christ says, don't be fearful. Just realize that I'm there. I'll be with you. I'll sustain you. I'll help you. Peter recognized his voice. Peter loved Christ, even though Peter denied Christ, Peter loved Christ. And is that not our case that even though when we've denied Christ, we still have a love for Christ. And the reason that you love Christ is because Christ loved you first and because of his love for you. He says straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. That's something we could remember ourselves, whatever it is that's causing Fear in your life. Realize that Christ is with you. Christ is with those that you're concerned with. Christ has them in his hand. Christ holds them and protects them by his strength. And he says, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. Peter answered. Peter saw Christ 
on the water. Peter answered and he said, Lord, if it be thou bid me to come unto thee on the water. Uh, Peter was kind of all over the place. I mean, he really was even literally he was. And Peter, although he denied Christ right here, he says, Lord, if it's actually you, then if you bid me come, I'll come unto you on the water. Now, I'd say that's a great degree of faith, wouldn't you? That's an evidence, at least, that Peter has faith. It's an evidence because at that moment, Peter was looking at Christ and his faith was strong in the Lord. And do you know that that's one of the best ways for us to strengthen our faith is to look at Christ. But sometimes we're like the father of the son. He said, Lord, I believe that means you do have faith. But he said, also, you help my unbelief. I need some help. My faith gets weak sometimes. Peter answered and he said, Lord, if it be thou, if, if it be, if, if it's you, you bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said to Peter, Christ said to Peter, he just simply said, come. Now, you know what? We would all do well if we would take heed to do what God tells us to do when he tells us to do it. Right then and there, Peter's faith was strong. And when Christ bid him to come, it says, and he and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Before we point any fingers at Peter, how many of us would 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 step out of the boat? I mean, really. Peter was looking at Christ, got one that would step out of the boat. Peter was looking at Christ. And isn't it amazing? And we're going to see this lesson right here. How that when we are focusing on Christ, when we're focusing upon the Lord, isn't it amazing what we can do? We can do things that are outside of our own ability and outside of our own self when we're focused on Christ. Peter's faith was strengthened at that time. And he said, come. And when Peter was come out of the ship, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Peter's faith was strengthened. He was looking at the Lord. He was thinking about the Lord. He wasn't thinking about what was going on around him. He wasn't thinking about what other people would say, what other people would do. And Peter it says that he walked on water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Long as he was looking at the right thing, looking at Christ and he's focused on Christ. He was strengthened and he was above all those things that were around him. But then just as soon as he began to look around He became greatly discouraged. I'll never forget a sermon that old brother Cecil Darty preached. I I mentioned it here a number of times. But uh, he used to come here and preach uh, at Mount Carmel for many years. He's now with the Lord. But he would come here and preach every year. Uh, Great minister from South Georgia. 
probably not too many that are here that still remember Cecil Darden. Sister Anita does, but, uh, but and Sister Janet. But he was a great, great preacher. And I'll never forget, he preached a message, and he was almost 80 years old. He was near the end of his preaching, near the end of his life, and near the end of his preaching. And he titled the message, and I was young at the time, so that was a long time ago, but he preached a message, and the title of the message was Out of Galatians, and the title of it was simply Missed Opportunities. And he said that he went back and he looked over his life and he looked at opportunities that he thought had been presented before him, opportunities from the Lord. Yet, because of one reason or another, he did not go through it. And he specifically mentioned, I'll never forget this, he specifically mentioned that he went to an area in Georgia and he held a service. And there was a number of uh, folks that were in attendance. And he said he felt like with the folks that he met with that that was the potential of a church family, of a church group. And he said, then I begin to think about what other people thought. Other people would say, well, there's already a church down the street down here. Why aren't they going down there? Or you don't have the strength or ability to start a church. And he said, I begin to think of all the reasons why not. And he said, all of a sudden I became fearful and I didn't pursue it. And he said, looking back, I felt like that the Lord was in the matter leading me there. Well, sometimes we get to looking at the wrong thing. Right here, it says, when Peter began to look around him. If you look around, if you look behind, you're going to get discouraged. It says, Peter, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Is this the same Peter that had faith and was following Christ? It certainly is. But that's the way it is with our faith. Sometimes our faith is really strong and sometimes our faith is really weak. Sometimes our faith needs to be encouraged, needs to be strengthened. And it says when he saw the wind, he was boisterous and he was afraid and he was beginning to sink. And it feels like in this life sometimes that that that's our lot. That's our case that that problems are around us so much and become so heavy that we begin to sink down. And 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 the good news is that we can only sink so low because we're in the hand of almighty God and in the hand of Jesus Christ. And nobody can take us out of his hand. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So you can only fall so low. But right here, Peter, as he began to sink and he he was overwhelmed by the the boisterous waves that were around, he he cries unto the Lord and he says, Lord, save me. And sometimes you just might not know what to pray for, but it's all right to pray. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me. I don't know exactly what all I need, but I know that you know what I need. And I know that you have the power and the strength and the ability to help me in all of my trials and difficulties. No matter what it is, every one of us have different challenges here in this congregation. But the good news is that the same Lord is able to help us, each one of us. So you just simply go to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. He's not talking about saving us eternally speaking. He's already saved you eternally speaking. Peter was talking about right then and there. And that's oftentimes what we need is right here and now. You've been saved eternally. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to be delivered and you're not going to fall from the grace of Almighty God. 
But as we live here in this life, we need to be saved almost daily, if not many times throughout the day. And Peter cried unto the Lord and he said, Lord, would you save me? Would you deliver me? Would you help me? And the Lord stretched forth his hand and he caught him and he'll catch you as well. He caught him and he said, oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? It's interesting how he encouraged him there, reminded him of his faith. He didn't say, Peter, you don't have any faith. He said, your faith's gotten a little bit weak. And sometimes that's our case. It gets a little bit weak along the way. Then they were in the ship, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And it says, And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out unto all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Uh, That's a beautiful, beautiful picture right there. The message that Christ delivers here is just as applicable today. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. God bless you.